aspect of ourselves. And then we hyper-focus on it. So, and it, and it's done that to the degree that the vast majority of people believe that you cannot be healthy and live in a larger body, right? So go take a peek at Regan Chastain's page. Um, she has a pretty popular blog called Dances with Fat. She's a triathlete. Wow. She lives in a larger body. She's uh-huh. pretty dang healthy. But we're told to look at bodies like hers and say that there's something wrong with it and that she's not healthy. Her blood work probably looks better than mine does. Yes, that is very interesting. You make very valid points. Um, now, you wrote a book, co-authored a book. Mm-hmm. Tell us about the eating disorder that you suffered from or that okay. you you're recovering from or you recovered from? Yeah, I like to think about it. Now I like to think about it as being in remission. I used to say I'm recovered. And then I met somebody who actually uses the term remission. And I'm like, that makes a lot of sense to me, right? Right. Like, like, who's to say that anybody could relapse? Right. You know, like I, can I say that I would never, ever, ever, ever have anything come up? That just seems sort of, I don't know. Then some people believe that that's fine. But I had a pretty classic case of anorexia nervosa in in many ways. I sort of started late in life and spent a lot of time in the hospital. I had a kind of a crazy experience with my eating disorder. And I, um, the Reader's Digest version of my story is I developed an eating disorder um, as a way of coping with a whole lot of trauma that I grew up with and that lasted throughout a substantial part of my adult life and spent about five years in and out of hospitals in more than I was out. And early on in that struggle, I had lost um, the good insurance that came from my mother because it was back before you could keep insurance until you were 26. And so mm-hmm. I ended up on um, state insurance. I was homeless um, for a period of time and was able to get social security disability and have Medicare, which also doesn't actually provide, it provided better treatment than the state funded care did, but it was really hard to get um, adequate care. So I had a a pretty lengthy struggle Mm -hmm. um, with getting better, but I finally did actually get better and took not a lot of time before I looked back over my experience um, in hospitals and in treatment, which actually had its own trauma associated with it. There was a lot of um, just not really empowering treatment at all. It was pretty disempowering. You know, I tell people the story sometimes, like one of the first things that a psychologist said to me at my very first hospital stay was, you know, I just want you to know that we know all people who have eating disorders are manipulative. And so we know you are too, and we're not gonna really be listening to much of what you have to say. It was like my, the very first, Thing that anybody had ever said to me. It was like, oh, and it just got uglier from there. Mm-hmm. And throughout my treatment, I really felt like I had this really strong kind of drive internally that just really felt like I needed to learn how to be gentle. I needed compassion. And I had never been treated that way. I came out of a bunch of abuse, you know? So like my, I, my whole being was like craving something that was loving and kind and treatment was not that at all. And what was really 
interesting is that the turning point for me really was learning self-love and self-compassion and was learning acceptance and um, that I had a voice that I could use that mattered in the world. Mm. And a lot of the ideas that I had about how you could get better were actually the things that did work for me at the end of the day. So then, you know, I did what I do, which is I took six months of saying, I don't want anything to do with eating disorders and turned around and looked at my experience and got really angry and thought, nobody else, nobody should have to go through that. Nobody should have to, I had an eating disorder from 20 years. Like nobody should have to suffer that long. Nobody should be treated in the ways that I was treated. And people should be, in my opinion, guided to recognize and identify that internal wisdom that we all have. Mm -hmm. Like we all have that voice inside that heart center, you know, and people understand it in different ways. Um, you know, the God that lives inside of us, connect with that mm-hmm. and allow it to lead you fall in love with yourself. It's possible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're in a situation where you're seeking support and care and you feel like somebody is treating you poorly, listen to that, get out. There's gotta be somebody else. There's definitely somebody or something else out there that can help you. Mm-hmm. Don't, stay in that situation, even if you have been shaped to put up with that because you've been traumatized and you've been abused before. Wow. Let's not pay our providers to be our abusers too. You know, if if there's, if you can recognize that that's what's happening, get out. Mm, That's good. That's good right there. Wow. Okay. So what would your typical day be like? Um, when you were going through your, your eating disorder, you know, take us through, um, back then, how long ago was that? The, my, I've had a few rock bottoms in the course of my eating disorder, but, you know, back in the nineties was really pretty much the height of the kind of the worst of my eating disorders. And, um, the hard thing, this is, the hard thing about kind of taking you through what a day is like is that if there are people, here's the problem with it. If there's anybody watching, right. That's you don't want to trigger anyone. I don't want to give anybody ideas. Okay. got it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to teach somebody how to have an eating disorder. Right. And I think probably what matters more than what I actually did is the fact that what I can tell you is every waking moment was consumed with what I put in my mouth, anxiety, fear, and feeling like I was a terrible person, feeling like I was so innately worthless that I literally didn't have any value and that I really just didn't matter. And the focus on my body and trying to make it smaller was was a way of not dealing with my trauma history. It was a way of not having to find solutions for some pretty big problems in my life. It was a great big distraction and it numbed out my feelings because you know what, like when you're starving yourself, your body really doesn't care if you're happy or sad. It just cares that your heart's still beating and that your brain's still working. So it's, you're really kind of like brought down to this bare survival Mm -hmm. space in the world. And it's really miserable. 
it's highly predictable, you know, and I can take anybody with an eating disorder and pretty much predict how they're going to feel when you put food in front of them. Pretty panicky. Um, Okay. And that's, you know, that's not necessarily normal. Right. And there's more to life than that. There's a lot more to life than that, thankfully. What now did your family and friends, the people around you, how, how did they treat you? When I had an eating disorder? Mm-hmm. Um, it depends that, you know, it's a kind of interesting, like when I first started getting sick, I, I could, I looked normal for a few years. So like kind of nobody really said anything. Mm-hmm. Um, like they would notice that I was a little weird if we went out to restaurants. Um, or with my activity level. So th- there, I didn't really notice much difference until I started needing to be hospitalized a lot. And then I lost all my friends. And my family, like my, my dad was great while he was alive. He was, you know, he was always, he was kind of a rock. He was always there. Um, and there were other members of my family though that I think really struggled initially wanting to potentially be supportive and not knowing how, and then being angry, you know, cause it's like, can't you just knock it off? Can't you just right. like get better and misunderstanding eating disorders as something that is selfish and vain and self-involved when really it doesn't have anything to do with that. It's really about coping. It's not about being selfish. Um, and I think people were scared when I was really sick, mm-hmm. you know, cause there is, um, I discovered years later, like my treatment team didn't really expect me to live. So I think, you know, family, there were family members and friends that were aware of that. So when sometimes I think when people think you're going to die, they distance themselves because it's easier for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Now, can I ask a question? Yeah. There's, it seems to be from the way that you're expressing it, there seems to be quite a similarity between eating disorders and addiction. Yeah. There are some people that would get mad for me saying, yeah, but um, yeah, I think there is. Because I really you talk about the, the compulsion uh, yep. and even some of the, you know, uh, the, the verbiage in terms of being, you know, relapsing. It seems there's quite of a difference in the way of the means of coping, right? Because often people turn to a substance use because that's the ultimate means of uh, of coping with whatever else is is bothersome, what's bothering them. Um, and you also refer to you know that numbing thing, which yes. is very similar to those who are in addiction. And you talk about yep. trauma, and there's such a big relation between trauma and substance use disorders. Yeah. You'll see some people with eating disorders, a lot of people with eating disorders will say, you know, well, it's different because, you know, my substance is food and I have to face food three to six times a day. Like we can't tell an alcoholic or somebody who struggles with alcoholism or drug addiction to use their drug of choice in moderation each day. 
I actually view it a little bit differently. You know, I don't see food as a substance that we're addicted to or not addicted to. I see it as a, the behaviors that we use in relation to food that we are addicted to or not addicted to. And we can be abstinent from those behaviors the same way somebody can be abstinent from a drug or alcohol. That's the way I understand it. What are some of those behaviors you referring to? I'm sorry? Person identify, what are some of those behaviors you referring oh, to? And how so like things like overexercising, um, using laxatives, using diuretics, restricting your food intake. So like eating a normal amount versus eating, you know, a quarter of what you should be eating, binging. You can, we can be abstinent from those behaviors. So we can learn to eat in balance. We can learn to move our bodies in balance and we can learn how to cope with our emotions effectively and solve our life problems in an empowered way and learn how to process instead of avoid our feelings. Like that would be living in abstinence from eating disorder behaviors. Awesome. When did you realize that, um, oh, let's back up a minute. Pastor, do we have any comments or feedback? Um, no, but there's a question. Um, how much does power has, uh, not power, but a sense of control has to do with a person eating disorder? So I think truthfully, everybody needs to have the sense that they can exercise some control over their life or they can affect some change in their life. And um, control, I think when people think of control as like the person's a control freak, that is kind of a misnomer, but yes, um, control has a lot to do with eating disorders. You feel like you're in a lot of control about what's going in and out of your mouth and eating disorders gives you a goal that you can focus on. So say it's losing weight, right? And you can devise a whole strategy and you can follow this pretty strict, rigid regimen and it looks really controlled and it feels very controlled until you realize you can't stop. Hmm. So it's sort of a false sense of control as opposed to real control. Cause in my, in my mind, right? Like true control is I can pick something up or put it down anytime. Yeah. Mm. That's true. Thank you. Um, what kind of treatment did you have to go through? Um, I know there is um, different resources, uh, support groups and, um, but for somebody that is, uh, dealing with an eating disorder, what type of treatment, um, how did you, how do, how does the clinician determine inpatient versus outpatient treatment? Yeah. So there's, um, for eating disorders, there's actually a few levels of care. So from the least restrictive to the most restrictive environment, we have outpatient, intensive outpatient, partial hospital, residential, and inpatient. So inpatient's going to be your most restrictive, highest level of care. And the biggest determinant for inpatient is medical compromise. So if somebody has some electrolyte imbalances, um, they're at risk for refeeding syndrome. And that basically is a syndrome that happens for people who have been highly restrictive for a period of time. And what can happen for them when we refeed them, if we're not really careful, their phosphorus stores can dump... Um, and it basically puts them at cardiac risk. It's a complicated, relatively rare syndrome. 
um, you'd want to be monitoring a person for that. Right. We also look at somebody's ability to and ability to actually eat solid food. Sometimes people need IVs, sometimes people need tube feeds, and a lot of times that is done at the inpatient level of care. Residential is also 24 hours without the acute medical compromise. Um, okay. They might not have like diabetes as, as well, it, that's a compromise. But a lot of times we look at that, um, that can be for people who are remarkably underweight, but I, we also look at folks who struggle in the evening and overnight hours with things like um, diuretics, laxative use, overexercise, binging and purging behaviors. Those can be really difficult to stop. If you're engaging in those in the evening and overnight hours, if I send you to a partial program, you're just gonna come home and continue to engage in those behaviors. So I'm not really helping you, right? So if, if we can give people a break from the behaviors and give them that structured environment where they can't use behaviors, even if they want to, and we're introducing them to normal amounts of food at frequent intervals to restart their metabolism and to get their GI tract used to digesting food again, they do better. Mm. Somebody who is in a day program that might be anywhere from six to 10 hours a day is getting meals and snacks that are supported and groups and therapy but they're gonna be on their own in the evening hours typically. So they need to have the ability to have, um, to be able to follow through with their nutrition in the evening hours without using compensatory behaviors or having support that they can lean on when they do feel like using them. It's a great step down from residential, but sometimes you know somebody who doesn't have a lot of compensatory behaviors or has great support system in the family, like the partial program is a really great level of care. An okay. intensive outpatient is three hours a day, three to five days a week, depending on the program. And then you have your weekly appointments, right? Um, which would be the lowest level of care. What, tell us what your diet is like. Mine? Mm -hmm. I eat whatever I want, whenever I want. So it varies. Um, I really do. I, I think intuitive eating generally works really well. So, you know, breakfast could be anything from chocolate chip pumpkin pancakes and some fruit with coffee, mm -hmm. or it could be, um, if I'm in a rush, I might make a smoothie. Um, it could be bacon and eggs. Just depends on what I feel like having. Right. Whatever you feel like um, having. Interesting. So it's not like, okay, I got to have a boiled egg and a piece of toast. That's all I'm eating. No, I lived a lot of years where I had a lot of rules about food. And, and what I've learned is it's really interesting. If you tune into your body, it is really true that your body knows where it wants to be mm -hmm. and it knows how to get you there if you listen. So if I, you know, if I'm craving pumpkin chocolate chip pancakes, if I don't make them and eat them, I'm, I'm going to think about them probably until I just have them. Mm -hmm. Right. But after I have them, I don't want them anymore. And I'm likely to want something a little lighter for lunch. You know, I'm probably not going to want lasagna, salad, and dessert for lunch after I've had pumpkin pancakes for breakfast. My body is probably going to, you know, gravitate to something more like a sandwich and a side and something to drink. And I've noticed, you know, if I, if I do have a day where there's like, say it's a celebration of some sort and there's a lot of like rich, fun, heavy foods, like, you know, maybe it's 
I don't know why I keep thinking of lasagna, but let's just go with it. Like say it's lasagna and cannoli and you know, things yeah. that are just absolutely delicious. I guarantee you that next day, I'm not, my body's not going to be like, God, I got to have like pumpkin pancakes and bacon. It's not. I've noticed that if I pay attention, I end up, those are the mornings that I'm craving things that are more fruit-based. And I notice the same with my friends when they're able to really get in touch with what they want and they allow themselves to have it, to enjoy it and to not worry about it. Mm. That's interesting because, um, you said pay attention to your body. Is that part of the intuitive eating process? Yep. Okay. Yep. Where did that stem from? Do you know? The intuitive eating? Mm-hmm. There's two dietitians, um, Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch are the two that wrote that, that book and sort of the program. And I... I'm not 100% sure of the entire origins of, of them, but they are two dietitians who've worked in the field for such a long time. Okay. And a lot of it is, you know, research-based and looking at the fact that your, your body, bodies are driven for homeostasis. Like bodies want to be steady and healthy. Right. And if we can be in touch with them and it's, if you really think about it, if you let your body lead, it really knows what it's doing. Mm. it really does. Like if you're like, okay, so movement is a healthy thing. Absolutely. Movement is a healthy thing. What kind of movement brings me joy? Is it walking your dog? Is it rowing on a river somewhere in a skull? Is it hiking a mountain? Is it yoga? Is it the gym? It might be. Is it running? What brings you joy? Do that. Do what brings you joy. Your body will tell you. That's good. I, I like the fact that you said tune into your body. Um, so what would you say if a person was to just eat like, I don't know, whole bag of Doritos and cupcakes and whatever and just binge? Would you say that they're not uh, paying attention to their body more so or they're just trying to fill feed a void or... If somebody was like, if say that happened, you know, when somebody came to me and said, oh my God, I just had whatever chips and cupcakes and all of this stuff, I would say, I would, I'd have a bunch of questions for that person. Like, how often does that happen? Mm-hmm. And what do you eat in between? Mm-hmm. What's going on in your life? Mm-hmm. You know, what's your stress level like? Mm-hmm. Who's in your life that's supportive? And the answers to those questions will actually start carving out the path to a better way of living for that person. You know, I'm likely to find out the person doesn't have good support or at least doesn't believe that they have good support and needs good support. I'm probably going to find out that there's a lot of stress in that person's life and they have absolutely no idea how to cope with it. That the person probably focuses on their body and is really unhappy with how they look and how they feel. Mm-hmm. And probably has some really rigid beliefs around good foods and bad foods and that they feel good or bad for eating one or the other, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm good if I eat salad, I'm bad if I eat a cupcake. Right. And that never feels good. And I'm horrible if I eat 10 cookies. <laughs> and then, right. So then we got to like untangle all of that because like you can eat 10 cookies and you're fine. Right. You know? But it's 
what I tell people is like, we got to have more than one trick in our bag, right? Like if we're sad or happy, you know, you can eat cookies in relation to that sometimes. But if you do that all the time, it tells me that you don't have enough coping skills. You know, there's other ways of dealing with our feelings and emotions besides food. And it's really important that we use them. Mm. That's good right there, because I think we all, uh, you know, we're all in this pandemic right now. So our stress levels are through yeah. the roof. And, you know, I keep hearing, uh, even when I'm on, you know, certain conference calls and it's like, yeah, my waistline keeps getting bigger. And, you know, I can't wait till COVID is over and I just keep gaining weight and, you know, so I hear all of these things. And um, so that tells me, you know, people are, you know, we are all stressed yep. and we're eating, you know, yep. we're, we're feeding our emotions. We're eating, trying to soothe ourselves. And, you know, I've, I've been guilty of it myself. Um, I, so I can definitely uh, attest to that. You know, what's interesting is that you think about, think about the pandemic that we're in, right? It's, pretty traumatic for just about everybody. And anybody with PTSD, PTSD is activated right now. Mm-hmm. And if you look at what your body does, there's a theory called polyvagal theory. And um, in general, if you're in that fight, flight, or freeze mode that we've all heard about, that's like your sympathetic nervous system. One of the things that happens in fight, flight, or freeze is your digestion slows down. Because we were programmed that if we're chased by a lion, it doesn't really matter if you're digesting your peanut butter and jelly sandwich in your stomach. That is irrelevant. What's relevant is getting away from the lion. Our bodies still react that way. You know, the lion right now is the pandemic for a lot of people and people's Mm -hmm. adrenaline levels are up, their cortisol levels are up and their digestion is slowed down. And we can extract more nutrients out of our food that way. We get bloated, we feel uncomfortable. And a lot of times we eat in relation to that people's bodies are going to change right now. We were biologically programmed to do that. And when we get out of this, we're also biologically programmed to change again as our movement changes. Mm. But what people are really capitalizing on this whole COVID-19 garbage, like don't gain the COVID-19 pounds. Like that's not even funny. We're all in survival right now. And whatever your body does to survive is okay. Mm -hmm. Like get out of this alive. That's the most important thing. Mm. and feed your body good nutrition you know the fruit and the vegetables feed your body the good stuff yep um, and there's room for the fun stuff too right in and the course of a day eat a cookie mm-hmm. just don't eat 10 or 12 or 20 but <laughs> if you have cookies you know when you want cookies you won't you generally won't have tw- like 20 you know what right. I mean like if you allow yourself to have them whenever you want them and they kind of lose their appeal that's true, but somebody with an addictive behavior, somebody who um, may not be able to um, stop the eating, stop the, the munching and all that stuff, how, how do they cope with that? Like if, if okay, just say for instance, I, I, I know I have a problem. I know that I can't just have one cookie. I'm, and I'm saying this because I think I'm calling myself out right now. <laughs> I can't just have one cookie. Um, I want five. I want 10. Are you saying it's okay for me to eat those 10 cookies? So when people engage, when people start using intuitive eating, what we do find is that in the beginning, 
there is a period of kind of chaotic eating where people are eating a lot of the things that they restricted themselves from or a lot of things that they labeled as bad. And it, people get really anxious about it because people are like, I don't think this works. I ate a dozen donuts. I don't think this works. I ate a bag of cookies. Holy poop. What am I going to do? Right. And what we keep telling people is it's okay. It's going to calibrate. You are definitely let yourself go through this period. It's not going to be forever. And yes, the scale might go up a little bit. It doesn't typically go up a lot for folks when they go through that and it evens out. But when you get to that point where you realize, where you really honestly realize that if you want a cookie, you can have a cookie. You literally don't want the 20 cookies anymore. Right. If you, you really don't allow yourself to have, you know, what you craving for. Okay. I have um, a couple of comments and questions coming up. One of them is, um, well, there are two questions actually. Uh, one is if I eat a gallon of ice cream in a half a cake of pie, um, I guess the question comes in about the amount of food that is being consumed. And the same person is asking, how do I control my eating in this pandemic? So for what, and I have to do the caveat, right? Of like, I'm a therapist and not a dietitian. I've just worked in this field for 25 years. <laughs> so I have that benefit and I've run programs, right? The, um, a couple, it, here's the easy answer and it's much harder to do. It is making sure that you're getting normal amounts of food at normal intervals throughout the day. So if you're somebody who is getting up in the morning and you're not eating anything until 3 p.m., I can guarantee that you're gonna eat, that you're gonna binge in some capacity. Like bodies are not made to do that. Get up and have breakfast. It's really good for your metabolism and it's really good for your brain. It's good for your body. Also, you know, put something in place to have a stress reliever to allow yourself to process stress differently. There's, I don't know if you, what your body's abilities are. If you're in an able body and you can do things like yoga, there's free yoga available. Like um, yoga with Adrian is a website that has free yoga. There's free yoga on YouTube or meditation or go for a walk. If you're able to do that, there's also free chair yoga on YouTube, something that helps decrease your stress levels. Lots of people are stress eaters, right? Uh, because realistically, when we're eating things like carbohydrates, that actually increases serotonin stores and it helps with stress. It's literally like medicating yourself with food. But most of the time, there are, there's different things that go into that between, like I said, are you restricting? What are you doing with your stress level? What are your belief systems about food? Are you depriving yourself of things that you really enjoy because you think they're bad? or you can't have them because you're trying to shrink your body. I think reading intuitive eating and reading body respect are, is a great starting point, but also making sure that you know what to do with your feelings. Like, are you aware of when you're happy, sad, frustrated, angry? And when you have those feelings, what are you doing with them? Some people really don't know what to do with their feelings. They just have a feeling they're like, oh my God, this is terrible. I've got to get rid of this feeling. And so they stuff it with food. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they become so full of food, there's no room for feelings. Mm. That's good. Because now I'm full and I don't have to think about what I'm feeling right now because I have medicated myself and 
to feed my emotions. So that contentment. Mm-hmm. But then you wake up and you feel horrible because you just ate a whole bag of cookies. Cookies is a theme for tonight. I'm- yeah. But you know what about, <laughs> you know what? So here, this is an interesting thing. Like, let's just say somebody broke up with their significant other and they're devastated and they ate a cake and I forget the other thing, the fruit, like whatever it was, bag of chips and half a cake or whatever it was. And they go to bed and they wake up and they feel terrible. They're like, oh my God, like my stomach feels terrible. I feel like I have this kind of hangover. I can't believe I ate all that. What was I thinking? Right. Guess what they're, and then they start saying, okay, well today I'm going to eat. And then they have a whole list of what they're going to eat. That's good for them. Quote unquote, right. I'm going to eat good foods today. And I'm going to make up for what I did yesterday. And I'm going to mm-hmm. go for a walk. And I'm going to X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah. Guess what they're not doing. They're not thinking about the fact that they just broke up with their significant other and they feel devastated. Mm-hmm. All of their focus is on the fact that they ate all this junk that they didn't want to eat and all of these things that they think is fabulous for them that they're going to be doing this day and they're focused on that and not on their pain. And that doesn't heal your pain. It's procrastination. Eventually you've got to deal with this situation somehow. Mm. But it's so consuming, it works. It works to focus on food in our bodies for a period of time. That's good. I mean, I I think a lot of times, I know we all struggle with some type of trauma from our past. And I, I, I truly believe that our past experiences is tied into um, our food choices. Um, you know, Pastor Emma mentioned culturally um, how we were raised and what we were told that we had to clean our plates before we uh, get up from the table. We had to eat everything. You know, I know I fell asleep plenty of times at at my table because I was, you know, this is what was told to me. And I would say, I don't want that. I don't, I don't want to eat that. Um, But it was like forced on you. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think culturally we've been programmed and wired that way to consume so much and not to really pay attention. But even though we have that instinct, even at an early age to know what our bodies want. You know, I have a four-year-old grandchild and he clearly knows at a young age, Yaya, you gotta eat carrots. You gotta eat carrots. He'll tell you, eat carrots, don't eat this. Or he'll say, yeah, eat eggs. And then he'll, but he still, he'll have his ice cream. And he'll, or sometimes he'll ask for an apple, or sometimes he'll ask for a cookie, and it's okay. Um, but I think when you put everything into such a box, um, then that's when we get tripped up. Uh, yeah. Pastor, is there any um, any other comments? Yeah. Um... Could eating disorder be perceived as a distortion of self-image or perception of a distortion about your own self-image? Can you say that again? I'm sorry. I think I'm yeah. I don't fully could understand the question. Be, could eating disorder be perceived as a distortion of your self-image? I guess the way I'm picking it is what you see is distorted from what reality is. Oh, yes, yes. Absolutely. You know, what's interesting is if there are a lot of people with eating disorders have certain parts of their body that they're particularly sensitive about, like, you know, they think their stomach is too round or their butt's too big or something like that. 
if you look in the mirror and you focus exclusively on your stomach, this is what people with eating disorders typically do. Like you stand, look in the mirror and you look just at your stomach. Is it bigger? Is it smaller? Is it the same size? And then you check out your butt and you look at your thigh and you're looking at everything in parts. And if you look at everything piece by piece, it looks distorted. Mm. Try it sometime. It'll make you crazy. They, we tend to not see you know, ourselves, all our body parts in relation to the other body parts. We don't see the whole picture. And therefore it's really distorted, but you don't realize it, you know, when you're going through it, you really, you really can't see it you can't. later on. Like when time goes by, you know, and you get better and you're able to see your whole self, you look back at your whole self and you're like, Oh my God, what was I thinking? I didn't look anything like what I thought I looked like, mm. but in the moment you can't see it. Well, what does a journey of healing looks like for a person who suffers from an eating disorder. And even when it comes to self-acceptance, right? Mm -hmm. What does that look like in the thought process that, in the remapping? Because I think often there's a remapping of what has been taught and there's a healing process that has to take place. Well, what does a healing process look like for a person who has who is recovering or maybe not recovering is not the right word, right? No, it's a so, perfect um, word. It's a perfect word. You know, from, 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 from an eating disorder. It's got a couple of different components. You know, the, at the first stage of the game, we're really looking to normalize nutrition. It's really hard for your brain to work if you're not getting enough. Mm. You know, you've, we, we need your brain to work cognitively so we can do the therapeutic work. Mm. There's a lot of nuances in language. There's a lot of um, like body language that we also use when we communicate with each other. And if you are starving or binging and purging or binging, it's really hard for you to attend to that stuff. And it's hard for your brain to work optimally. So that nutrition component is a really important component. Then we also look at dismantling and disentangling like the inaccurate messages that diet culture has sent to the person, you know, what are you, what have you internalized about foods being good or bad and what bodies are supposed to look like? And we've got to provide education around, you know, bodies come in diverse body types. So, you know, if, if I look at, I'm five foot six inches tall. And when I was growing up, I had a friend who was about 4'11 and she was a really talented gymnast. And I thought she was like this amazing person. And I thought like short people were just so absolutely cute. And I so desperately wanted to be 4'11. Mm. I can want to be 4'11 until the cows come home. And I am 5'6 period. <laughs> like <laughs> Genetically, this is what I've got to work with. And weight is a really similar correlation. So there is a place of accepting our genes and working on that and going through some body grief mm. and working through that, right? And also learning healthy coping skills to deal with our emotions and to process our emotions when we have them. And there's also when we have a stable base with nutrition and coping, trauma work, if there's trauma. Mm. And everybody, whether you have trauma or you don't, I feel like almost everybody has trauma today, right? Like whether you do or you don't, everybody also needs to do that piece of work around self-compassion, self-acceptance mm. and being gentle with their own hearts. And that's a lot of work to do. Yes, it is. But it's, it's needed in order to get the full healing that you know you need. Um, any other 
questions? Sorry, Pastor. Yeah, no, I have stuff coming in. Um, <laughs> okay. One of the questions is, what if you look in the mirror and you don't like what you see and you take drastic measures to look thinner? What should a person start with? That's a great person to try going to therapy if they have the privilege of being able to access a therapist. You know, it's to some degree, it's normal to sometimes look in the mirror and not like what you see. I mean, I think everybody on the planet has a bad body image day sometimes, right? Like, you know, I, I, like I said, consider myself recovered. Does that mean like I never have a bad body thought? No, I'm a female living in the United States of America. Of course I have days where like, (laughs) you know, like there's, we all do. Everybody does. Um, it's, you know, when that becomes the thing that's all up in front of your brain all the time and it's, you're hyper-focused on it and it's impacting your functioning, that's when it's a problem, you know, and if you're really looking in the mirror and you, you just absolutely hate what you see all the time and it's upsetting to you, being able to work with somebody to identify what's really going on, because there's something underneath that, that looking at yourself in the mirror and not liking what you see is a symptom of something deeper that needs to be healed. And because I don't, like, I don't know who that person is. I can't look at the person and say like, oh, it's these things. But there's always something under that that needs to be healed. Right. Which is why uh, self-confidence and body uh, positivity is is needed. Um, Mm -hmm. Regardless of what size you are, whether, you know, you're 300 pounds or you're 100 pounds, it, you exactly. still have to look at yourself in the mirror and love that person that you see and start there. And if you feel as though you want to change some things about yourself, then you work towards those things, but you have to love the you mm-hmm. that you see in the mirror. Um, yeah. Wow. Any other questions, Pastor? Um. Eating disorders, are they typically uh, gender focused? Uh, do you mostly find them with women versus men? Uh, you know, the people that have been, there's, there are more females than males. And typically in practice, you know, it's like we see about 10% that are males, but you have no idea how many of them go undiagnosed because men are more reluctant to come in for things, for assessments than females are. But in general, like eating disorders really don't discriminate. They are, you know, they're across races, genders, socioeconomic classes, anybody and everybody can end up with an eating disorder. Mm. There's somebody that I know that calls them um, an equal opportunity life destroyer. Mm. Wow. What is, um, is there a status, because I, I don't think we, this is our first time anywhere on our platform where we're talking about such a, uh, you know, such a heartfelt topic, right, that impacts millions of people. Do you have a statistic on how many people is impacted by eating disorder in our country? Yes. And, of course, now that you've asked me, I can't remember what it is. It is a really large number. Um, and it's one of those things where I'm like, I'm looking around my desk because I happen to be sitting at my desk. I'm like, was I smart enough to write that down somewhere? 
Um, I, of course, can look and give that to you. Well, like we can keep yeah, talking. Because I know I'm pretty sure it's on my desktop, actually. I'll look. Anytime, it's fine. Thank you. I mean, I know in the state of Massachusetts, it's like 225,000 people just in this one state. Wow. But it's, it's a lot of people. And, and those are people who are actually took the step in asking for help, right? Those are not the people, obviously, who are sitting home and battling this disease and not saying There's, um, I, mean, I think I might have actually found it. No worries. No, I've got main statistics. All right, I'm gonna keep looking for this stat. It's okay. <laughs> so let's um let's talk about uh the body positivity. Um I was reading up on it earlier about some things and it was really interesting. Um the things that I came about. How to promote a body positive environment. Mm -hmm. um, and some of the things was um, choose foods that you like, ditch the scale, celebrate diverse body sizes, be flexible, be critical of media images. I think that one is huge because society, you know, the Vogue, the, the magazines and all the Photoshop stuff we see on social media. And it's like the women are perfect. You know, they have the whole hourglass and everything looks in the right place. But we also know that's, that's you know, that's faulty. There's right. no such thing as perfection. Um, and some of those images have been photoshopped to, um, especially with celebrities. Um, but then you have someone who's struggling with uh, low self-esteem, uh, self-love, you know, feeling unworthy, feeling undervalued. Um, and then they look at you know, what they see on me in the media and our, our young people are the young adults and our teenagers and our young kids. And they see that and they want, they strive to be like the Kardashians or, you know, whoever. And because that's what they're looking at, but it's a false sense of, of reality in a sense, not saying that they can't look like that, but then it's like they, they're trying, like they're starving themselves, they're uh, plastic surgery, you know, just the makeup and the glam. And um, it's like a false sense of reality. Um, so what would you say to somebody who was struggling with um, self-love, self low self-esteem because of um, their body type um, whether they're a size four or mm -hmm. 44, you know, what would you say to someone who was struggling? I probably a few things. Like I think knowledge is power. So if it's somebody who is on, who spends a lot of time on social media, like I think that, you know, social media is, can be great, but it can also be devastating. Diversify mm -hmm. your feed. You know, if you're somebody and you've got fitspo all over your Instagram feed, for example, you're going to feel like crap. 
So make sure that you've got diversity in your feed. Go follow some people who are influencers who live in larger bodies. There's a ton of people out there that are fantastic, you know, really good people to follow. Um, Tiffany Ema on Instagram is great. Mm -hmm. Um, Brianna Campos is, she's body image with Brie. Fantastic. Um, Even educate like around posing. So Danae Mercer, who is also on Instagram, does a lot of education around she's actually kind of funny when she does it too. Like she'll take this shot of herself in a bikini and you look at her and you're like, Oh my God, she looks amazing. Like her stomach is all taut and muscular and she's got the perfect curves. And then right next to it, she literally like shows herself in a a relaxed pose. You can see her cellulite. She's bloated. And she talks about, you know, posing and lighting and how that made her look amazing when like, it's like, this is my real self. This is good lighting and a pose. Right. And really be able to know the difference. Like you can't compare your everyday life to somebody else's highlight reel. Mm. You know, we're not putting our real selves up on social media most of the time. That's so true. And it's really important to be able to be a critical viewer and understand like, I'm not looking at real life when I'm scrolling on Instagram. I think that's the key right there because we look at, you know, Facebook and we are scrolling through everybody's pages and then we're like, Oh, I want to look like that. Oh, I want to, you know, my, I want my butt to look like that. Oh, I want, you know, and then we start comparing ourselves and start to feel like, well, maybe something is wrong with me because I'm not that size, you know? And, you know, I, used to struggle I still struggle with my weight and the thing is is it really a struggle or is it because I've been this size for like all my life you know pre-kids after kids kids it don't matter you know I go up I go down I go up I go down and, and I still remain here so obviously and even with uh the removal of my of my breast I still remain the same size you would think after getting a double mastectomy that the scale would go down, but that didn't happen. So I was like, wait a minute. But I had to get to the point of, okay, are you going to love the person you see in the mirror with no boobs, you know, little puffy belly I got, you know, the, the butt and be okay with that? Or are you going to strive to be like, somebody else or you trying to fit what society say you need to look Mm -hmm. like because this is what society says you need breasts who said that you know who said you have to have this to be fulfilled to be empowered Mm -hmm. to feel empowered to feel worthy because me loving me starts with me loving my heart my the inside of me because if you love the inside of you, which is the God in you, then you can love the outside you, whether you're size 44 or size four. And I truly believe that. Um, Monica, you are a breath of fresh air. I say that oh, all the time. I say that. I say that all the time. You are, you are so sweet. And um, I just want to thank you for talking with us and I didn't even get to all of my questions. Um, yeah, I got a couple more here too. For tonight, we, I think we, yeah, we will have, let's give it 10 more minutes and then we'll close sure. out. 
um, make it for nine and um, let everyone, you know, get their questions in because I think this is a topic now because we're embarking on the new year. People are going to be, uh, we're starting, well, we were supposed to have been doing a, a, a 30 day eating challenge. Again, we did one um, a couple of months back and it was more like 30 days of whole food eating, you know, trying to get our bodies uh, adapted to eating healthier food choices. Um, with that came some weight loss. I mean, most of us in the group, we lost what, five, five to 10 pounds. Um, but the weight loss wasn't the main goal. The goal, because I think when you focus on, okay, I got to lose the weight, I got to lose the weight, I got to lose the weight. That becomes the focus when it was, no, I want to feel better. I want to feel healthy. I want to feel nourished. I want to feel energized. And changing that thought process for me gave me the strength and the ability to keep moving forward and to, to keep on the regimen and to keep doing things. But then there were times where even through the 30 days, I ate a cookie because I wanted chocolate, you know? And I know that some people were getting upset because I ate a cookie because it's like, oh, we're on this thing. How can you roll off from that? But it was just like, no, it's okay. It's so funny. I'm sitting here in the, in the grand scheme. I'm like, it's a cookie. <laughs> Right. But some people in our group was, was, was a little ticked off because I ate a cookie and how dare I do that and go off the path of, of righteousness <laughs> <laughs> and go off because I'm the leader, I'm the head, I'm the one, you know, so I get that, but I also had to say, yes, I ate a cookie and I don't feel bad about eating a cookie because why? It's, it's, yeah. that, it's that behavior that we have been programmed to tell ourselves that I'm a bad person and I'm, and I'm horrible. And that for a moment, I believed it because I was like, dad, well, dad, I got your name, the cookie. Now I'm apologizing for eating a cookie, you know? Yeah. That, that is the place where I'm trying to get to stop. We beat ourselves up. Society beat us up. And we beat ourselves up even more with uh, when we when we don't uh, do what everybody's expectation is for us to do. And I even said, look, this is your body. You do what works for you. What, and I'm going to do what works for me. However, the goal is for us to feel energized and for us to nourish our body with good food and make healthier food choices. That is the ultimate goal. Now, if you drop some weight in the between time, then, oh, to God be the glory. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I'm a little animated, Monica. Don't worry I about it. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Um, Pastor, do we have any other questions? Okay. We have two. Um, I've seen some fitness bloggers and others critique the body positivity movement as one that promotes an unhealthy lifestyle. What are your thoughts on this viewpoint? Seeing fitness people who promote unhealthy lifestyles? Um, I've seen some fitness bloggers and others critique the body positivity movement as okay. one that promotes an un unhealthy lifestyle. What are your thoughts on this? Oh, saying that body positivity is an unhealthy lifestyle? Yeah. Gotcha. And um, I'm assuming because it's the sort of like health at every size and body positivity. Um, right. 
accepting larger bodies, basically. So it kind of goes back to, um, God, like so much of our health is not about our earth suit. You know, it's about our mental health and well-being, and it's about our physical health and well-being, and that comes in all different shapes and sizes. And I think that, you know, when when we're saying, um, you know, my understanding of body positivity, and I guess I'm going to back up again. So, body positivity and health at every size are actually two different things. Health at every size is something. It's a social justice platform that was basically um, built to promote equitable healthcare to everybody. Um, and it does. Um, we're not saying health e at every size. We're saying health at every size. How do we maximize yourself, your health, no matter who you are, through um, balanced nutrition and gentle movement and equitable healthcare? Blah blah blah. And body positivity is really about: Can we help people feel better about living in the body that they are currently living in? which lots of people have taken lots of different ways. And I honestly do not hold myself out as an expert in that particular movement. You know, I professionally and personally strongly encourage people to make peace with their bodies in this very moment. Because even if you are trying to shift and alter the shape of your body, and of course you're going to probably do that given what diet culture is like, in this moment, you're still living in this body right here, right now. And you can hate it and be miserable, or you can say, this is my body right here and right now. And the loving, wonderful me lives inside this earth suit. Okay, that feels better than hating. Mm-hmm. my earth suit. And it's, you know, it's easy for me to say some of this stuff, because for the most part, I'm able bodied, you know, I've had I've gone through Lyme disease, um, mold toxicity, and had a lot of neurological issues and body parts that weren't functioning the way that they were supposed to as a result, which also gave me a different view of our body of my body, you know, it, it became a lot less important to me, that my stomach was round. When my, you know, when I realized like I would much rather have legs that function Mm. and not twitch and burn and hurt and feel weak and make it hard for me to do the things that I like to do. Mm. You know, when you're faced with, um, you know, bordering on disability or some disability, all of a sudden, you know what, being bloated ain't so bad. Right. And being a few pounds or a lot of pounds over what you kind of wish you were ain't so bad. Um. So I, I like to think about, for me personally and professionally, I like to think about body positivity as maximizing the use of the body that you have, whatever that looks like. You know, if you are somebody who is wheelchair bound, can you use the rest of the body in ways that feel really good to you? And how do you do that? And can you, be, can you appreciate the body that you are living in, even though it might be differently able than other people? If you have a fully able body, like I've been blessed with right now, can you enjoy that regardless of what the scale is saying? But I hear what they're saying because they're saying, you know, if, uh, can somebody who is 400 pounds celebrate their body type? I mean, and I think the answer is yes, they can. And that's okay. And it should be okay. Bodies come in all different sizes. And maybe that body, the person living in that body might get smaller. Might, maybe they won't. But their body is not about their value as a person. And we have to start separating that stuff out. We've become really, I think, over the last 
well, I don't even know how many years since the 60s, we've become really, really judgmental mm-hmm. about the shape and size of people's bodies. Everybody's body has value. Everybody's body matters and every person matters regardless of their shape or size. Wow. Any other, any other questions? Uh, no, that was, that was it. That was it. Okay, that's our time yeah. tonight. I feel like I went all over the map with that last one, sorry. No, it's okay. no, no you did pretty good. It's okay. Um, Monica, I want to thank you again. Um, thank you for tuning in. Thank you all for tuning in with us tonight. Monica, you are the bomb. Thank you. Uh, thank you. <laughs> You're so nice to me. Aw. Um, well, you I'm are- so blessed that I got to meet you guys. Like, I'm so- yes. You have so to happy we connected. Thank you so much, man. I gotta tell you, I've learned so much tonight. You know, there's um, definitely a lot of misconception and taboo stuff that has been cleared out and that has been demystified in some ways. So thank you for your expertise, for your knowledge, and for your compassion. You know, with this, especially with us, because we really are not very well versed when it comes to this. Right. So I thank you for your time. Oh, God, you're so welcome. You guys are so refreshing and so much fun to spend time with. Oh, thank you. We got to come to you. Where are you again? Boston? I'm currently physically in New Hampshire where I live, but Meta is in just outside of Boston. Okay. When this pandemic is over, you got to come visit. Oh, we will. Both of you. We will. I, I, exactly. We will. We'll we'll bring our whole church. (laughs) It'll be fine. I'll show you Boston. I'll show you New Hampshire. I'm not that far from the beach in New Hampshire. It's maybe 20 minutes from me. You such a sweetheart. It'll be fun. Yeah, we we would love to. Um, Now, before we go, uh, Monica, do you want to give some information about? your company and your, um, you know, your, your hours, what do you do? Are you taking new patients? Do you want to oh, kind sure. of like showcase yeah. your, your agency right now? Yeah, they, it, we're easy to find on the web. We're metainc.org. So it's just M-E-D-A-I-N-C.org. And um, we have a pretty active uh, community on Instagram and we're at Recover with Meta on Instagram. We are taking new patients. We have the support groups um, Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday that are free. And we also have some paid therapy services and groups running. We have scholarships too. We have recovery conversations every Wednesday night on Instagram and Q and A's every Monday night on Instagram. Those are free. And there's a, we're actually in the middle of redoing our website. So the Website will be looking a little bit different in probably a month or two from now, but there's a ton of information on it. And we also have events. We've got one coming up. I just don't have the date yet, but it's going to be in February. So if you watch our calendar on our website, it's, um, it's going to be pretty neat. There'll be a, it's about some body positivity, body acceptance and self-love, and mm-hmm. it'll be really cool. It's got some multimedia um, involved in it. It's a woman who is over in the UK who's actually going to be hosting it through our virtual platform. 
Is and that'll be free. It'll be one of our hope and inspirations on a Saturday. So that would be it fun. Body Power. No, her name is um, Shalavit Semcha Cohen. Okay, because I came across a young lady, and I think she's in the UK. But we'll talk off camera. What is your website? Oh, I think I know you, it, our website is metainc.org, N-E-D-A-I-N-C.org. I-N-G? C like corporation. So it's Meta Incorporated. M-E-D-A-I-N-C. Yeah. Dot org. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. Thank Everybody you. is thanking you and saying thank you on Facebook for oh, yeah. great information. So we thank you. Oh, you guys are so nice to me. Thank you. Yep, thank you. And if you ever, Monica, if you ever want to tune in, um, I'll give you our Facebook page and yeah, uh, Pastor Goes Live 930 um, on Sunday. No, we'll live at 730. Um, now, oh, oh, talking about for service, a service 10 30. 10 30, yeah, she does, yeah, she does 10 30 uh, on Sundays, and she also, um, we have the round table discussion, uh, with Pastor Emma, and she has uh, certain um, guest people, guest speakers on her platform as well. They talk about addiction because she's a, a oh, nice, she's a what are you, honey? I'm a substance abuse counselor. <laughs> I'm an addiction specialist. That's fabulous. Thank you. So, um, yes. So, yeah. So, um, you are just awesome. And I know I keep saying that because I'm sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> I adore you. <laughs> uh, me and me and Monica clicked. Everyone, um, so much telling, fun. Yeah, I was telling my BFF about you. I said I met somebody. She's so cool. I was like, she's just, you know, I I inboxed her and I'm like, would you mind doing this? And she's like, yeah, sure. And I'm like, what? Really? <laughs> it's funny because the day after we got to like chat on I think it was zoom right or FaceTime uh -huh. I can't remember I was telling Carolyn who's in our office she's our director of ops I was like I have a new friend <laughs> <laughs> I was so excited I know like, I me, love too. Her. me too I was saying that to Emma I'm like I have a new friend it was like okay <laughs> I don't get I don't get out much um yeah, so, but, you know, it's just good to to meet people that you click with and you feel like, you know, I can see your passion with uh, eating disorders and I know it's because you lived it and you're, so I, I can relate to that a little bit, just like I'm passionate about healing um, yeah. and, and, and helping people heal because I've been through what I've been through and, you know, so, um, we all have a story to tell. And I think okay. it's important for us to share our stories to bring hope and inspiration to others, which is why this platform was birthed. So I just thank you again, Monica. 
Um, and I love the way she spells her, her name, M-O-N-I-K-A. I have to give that credit to my mother, but. <laughs> it's different. So thank you so much again. Thank you thank for you. everyone that was tuning in tonight. Thank you um, to our church, um, Deacon Sherry, uh, Deacon Sarah, Deacon Teresa. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for uh, joining us tonight. Um, thank you, Pastor D. Thank you, Elder. Um, wherever you are, we are praying for you. Um, we're lifting you up in prayer. We love you. And thank you, Pastor Emma. Did I miss anyone? Thank you, Sister Bridget, for always being a fan and tuning in and rooting for us and praying for us and being uh, our biggest fan. So we love you. Thank you, Pastor. Do you have any closing remarks? And you please close us out in prayer. No, um, I think definitely this was a conversation. I'm hoping um, if you are tuning in and you find yourself that you are struggling and you can relate to the conversation that we've had, uh, you can relate to the information uh, that Monica provided. And we, and we say this all the time, you are not alone. There are resources, there's help out there. Uh, you, do not, you don't have to struggle and suffer and just by yourself. You, know, you can reach out to us, you can reach out to Monica. She had provided you with the services. There are groups available, there are support systems that is available. And uh, this is not a journey that needs to be taken alone. So we encourage you. And it doesn't have to be taboo. It doesn't have to be shameful. Uh, and this is a journey that you can take and you don't have to do it alone. All right. So I encourage you to reach out. I, I implore you to please seek out the help because the help is available. All right. So Monica, again, from the bottom of my heart, from our church to your home, we appreciate oh. you. We thank you so much for everything that you have poured into us today. Okay. So I'm definitely coming out a little more smarter and uh, have a little more understanding about the, uh, the eating disorders than I did prior to this um, healing conversation. So from all of us, we thank you. Thank you so much. You guys are amazing. Thank you. All right, Monica, you have a good night. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a good night. All right. Be blessed. Have Stay good safe night, and wear your mask. <laughs> <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.